Welcome back to the Boyne Island Podcast, a very special sneak peek into the creative process behind my forthcoming book, Boyne Island, an exploratory nonfiction project that delves into previously untold stories and never-before-published documents and ephemera, illuminating my experiences as a child survivor of the accident at Three Mile Island Nuclear Power Plant, which occurred on March 28, 1979, just minutes from my childhood home in Middletown, Pennsylvania. The story's narrative expands ever outward from this seminal event towards an extensive dissection of the various unconventional ways this incident continues to shape my character, worldview, and creative instincts as an artist. I will also explore the larger cultural and sociological implications of the Three Mile Island incident past and present from an insider's perspective, and expose the myths and mysteries that have permeated therein over the last 40 years. The timeliness of this unique insider's viewpoint is essential and indispensable in relation to the nuclear dilemma that has yet again taken center stage as we as a species are forced to face the undeniable, dire effects of climate change on our environment that necessitates an urgent, worldwide rethinking of our dependency on fossil fuels. As nuclear energy is being considered as the frontrunner of a quote-unquote clean-burning energy alternative, it is of vital importance that the stories contained within Boyne Island are disseminated and factored into the contemporary nuclear debate. The events that occurred at Three Mile Island will forever signify the greed, corruption, and gross negligence that plagues the commercial nuclear power industry from its inception, effectively rendering the majestic and awe-inspiring potential of atomic power to instead symbolize mankind's inability to conscientiously utilize or safeguard its most lethal invention. As survivors of the Three Mile Island incident, my family and I inherit this terrible legacy of atomic dysfunction against our will, but we will not be defined by it. The stories within Boyne Island place the highest value on the human element, spotlighting the tenderness, humility, and courage of human will and its refusal to allow its heart, soul, and spirit to be traded as currency or viewed as dispensable by callous bureaucrats or peevish amateur fascists. What lies at the center of Boyan Island is not a story that is preoccupied with nuclear power or tragedy, although they factor in as characters within a much larger and broader story. This project is an ode to the unflinching pursuit of inspiration in all its elusive and mysterious forms and stands in defense of our imagination as it seeks its own truth in defiance of any force that attempts to disrupt its individuality or deter its inner flame. I'm your host, Andrew Hurst. I'm an artist, musician, and writer. I'm the boy in Boyan Island. I'm all grown up now. I got a story to tell. This is episode two, part one, from sorcery to utility. In this episode, I want to embark with you on a treacherous journey that traces the mystical impulses and political intrigues that lurk within the technological discoveries that eventually led to the existence of the domestic use of atomic power embodied by nuclear power plants such as Three Mile Island. To answer the question, 
How did this plant wind up in my backyard requires an examination of the awesome and frightening aspects of our civilization's often overzealous attempt to exude control over the forces of nature at the expense of its own sanity and civility. Our journey will ultimately lead us to the United States, whose unquenchable thirst for world domination gave birth to the atomic age, forever troubling the already murky waters between science and faith and begging the question, can or should technology have a moral imperative? But unlocking the atom's powerful potential took millions upon millions of years of physical and metaphysical development of our understanding of how we got here and what ourselves and our surroundings are comprised of. The major cosmological antecedent of the human condition is the Big Bang, in which the formation of the observable universe was born over 13 billion years ago. The stupefyingly powerful forces responsible for our being are woven in every tissue and cell within us. We were born in flames, literally. Our normal body temperature of 98.6 degrees dictates that we have a nearly 100 degree heat furnace percolating inside of us at all times, broiling at the very core of our daily existence. As the multitude of firing brain synapses, river-like coursing of blood through the capillaries and arteries, the otherwise placid facade that we present to the public every day exists in striking contrast to the bubbling cauldron in our interior. This dichotomy of extremes we embody, the interior-exterior, right brain, left brain, passive, aggressive, creator, destroyer, day, night, light and dark are commingling perilously at all times. This phenomenon is perhaps central to our proclivity for violence. There's a kind of naked aggression embedded in the human condition. We seem to have never recovered from our forceful ejection from the womb of the galaxy, striving desperately to cobble together an existence from its traumatized components and with a brilliant vengeance, we're compelled to exact our revenge upon the earth. Or at least, prove that we were here. Before our understanding of the heavens, or solar system, or the cellular makeup of terrestrial living things, our pre-science perception of the world was governed by suspicion and the supernatural. The shaman, wizard, or witch figure emerges as a fringe but very real member of our earliest societies, functioning as the embodiment of our greatest fears or enabler of our hidden desires, acting as a conduit between the spirit world and the material world. I am a witch and I follow an ancient uncle pre-Christian religion of witchcraft. Every century, every generation has always needed a shoulder to cry upon. The witches of the world have been the psychologists, the healers, the doctors, the midwives, and very often the neighboring good friend who could do just a little more for a person than serve tea and sympathy. This societal figure played an integral part in attempting to grasp the mystery of existence and harness the mystical potential of nature. Herbal medications, pharmaceutical elixirs, and incantations were fused together in folk magic experiments for healing and ceremony, to induce fertility, bless the coming crops, or to ward off misfortune. That's a screech owl I recorded in our backyard. 
The owl is an ancient symbol of both wisdom and death. In Italian witchcraft specifically, the screech owl is associated with witches, as their sound is thought to resemble their evil cackling. I try to tread lightly when I hear its occasional call. I never see it physically, but its presence is fully felt, and I find its call rather seductive. It has an ominous beauty. I want you really out there amidst the dark of the wood and slow yourself down, breathe slower, stay totally still. Shapes from out of the darkness, the slightest sounds are amplified. All poetry begins in the woods. From a very young age, my parents raised my sister and I to respect but not fear nature. It was also awe-inspiring to feel small compared to the vastness of the wilderness, while simultaneously being emboldened by the spiritual energy of the surroundings. I am so thankful that this was a big part of my early experiences, and my life continues to be enriched by spending time in the forest. My time in the woods as a boy left an indelible mark on my perception of myself in relation to the larger ecological and anthropological picture, in a sense that it becomes clear that my relationship with nature is not one-sided and that we are interdependent at all times, and that I have a responsibility to the ecosystem that I'm a part of. The legendary American abstract expressionist painter Jackson Pollock famously said, I am nature meaning that the dust from exploded stars, the sublime caress of moonlight, and the fury of a hurricane's vortex were all contained within him, and that his creations and the impulse behind them were not a depiction or derivation of nature, but were a direct force of nature in themselves. Tellingly, he died in 1956 at age 44, when he flipped his car over drunk driving after struggling with alcoholism and mental illness for years. Showing us the forces of nature around us and inside of us can be equally uncontrollable and seem to operate under their own will towards an ultimate destination, regardless of our attempts to intervene. It's fitting that this I am nature quote comes from an artist in that it suggests that the plight of the artist is akin to that of the witch or shaman, one who would dare muster the arrogance and humility to declare their capability to work seamlessly in communion with nature. But what compels one to self-appoint themselves this role in society? In order for humans to scratch and claw our way to the top of the food chain, we had to muster up an extreme amount of will to maintain a firm footing amidst the chaos and fury that the natural world continuously threw at us. But our evolutionary success couldn't hinge upon chance or the unknown. It would need to locate and ultimately master the peculiarities of human will and to define the driving forces behind its deepest motivations and potential. We would need faith, and in our image we would formulate a heady concoction assembled from the mystical workings of the witch, the haunting reverie of the owl, and the wayward pontifications of the artist. And with trembling hands, mix these ingredients together feverishly, and we name it God. 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 God.
knows. The Bible's God knows. The Bible's God knows. Many believe that we act under God's will and that it's in God we trust or so help me God. But which God are we referring to? My memories of grade school are intertwined with standing every morning, right hand raised up and saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And while it was impossible to not feel that swell of patriotism that would stir inside, it was overridden by the one nation under God part. I was baptized Roman Catholic, but my family didn't actively pursue our religious convictions conventionally. So I felt a little uncomfortable being forced to pledge my allegiance under a God. But mostly, I felt sympathetic for my classmates, who believed in a different god or gods, perhaps. Whereas, you have a right under our constitution to freedom of religion, however, it was definitely not okay to not stand and recite the pledge with everyone. At least not in the small town school that I attended. But there can also be an overbearance of will, and nowhere is this more evident than in the national identity of the United States of America. We're the new kid on the block, and we always seem to have something to prove. Boy and Island is primarily a story that is rooted in a specifically American experience, and the bully mentality that our country was built on plays a central role in this story, as its knack for overreach here and abroad will play out to gruesome and horrifying ends. So while the will of humanity becomes increasingly cosigned to the will of a higher, holier power to embolden itself or to explain away its bad behavior. Science was charting a different but related path. Science, unlike the absolutes that faith clung to, was forced to evolve, often dramatically, as the evidence that its experiments gathered demanded so. A brave new world was developing, predicated on a deluge of technological advancements that threatened to drive an irreconcilable wedge between science and faith. A world in which agents of the church could no longer freely persecute advanced scientific thinkers and burn them at the stake upon learning that it may not be God that the earth revolves around. As civilizations slog through centuries of slow but steady progress, our myths and superstitions began to develop less from dark mysteries of the unknown aspects of our natural world, but more out of the tantalizing and truly frightening consequences that real-world discoveries introduced to the human psyche as it lurched towards the modern age. In the mid-1500s in Europe, thousands of years of evolutionary trial and error coalesced into what is generally considered as the scientific revolution, in which modern science flowered immensely, establishing the point in which the alchemy of the ancients evolved finally into chemistry, with additional transformative developments as well in mathematics, physics, astronomy, and biology. This 350-year period, from this time through the mid-1800s, which contains the bold, sumptuous thrust of the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, and the mechanique piece de resistance, the Industrial Revolution, this remarkable stretch of time is our civilization's biggest technological leap forward. With all this advancement, a new society was being shaped, and its members were faced with the onset of defining their new self-image amidst an increasingly mechanized world. Inventions such as x-rays, photography, motion picture film, as well as Mendeleev's periodic table of the elements, Darwin's theory of evolution, 
Freud's interpretation of dreams showed us more about ourselves objectively and subjectively than we had previously had access to. But within this emerging culture of mechanical reproducibility and commodification lied opportunities to construct a new society as what were once speculative science fictions or conjurings of the occult were now stark realities of a new cultural and psychological landscape. As this increasingly mechanized world lapped and plunged its way breathlessly forward, some hard truths began to reveal themselves. Some have credited the Industrial Revolution as marking the decline of the environment as a result of pollution from factories and population expansion encroaching further into animal habitats, stressing certain species towards extinction. In addition, mankind itself was feeling the strain of the machine age as it threatened to render man obsolete and potentially inferior to the machines of its own making. Thus, with mankind's unprecedented and audacious exertion over nature, through these technological advancements, an irreversible collision course was set in motion that would threaten to tear itself apart. Thank you for joining us. That's it for part one of episode two. Stay tuned for part two, where we'll explore the wonder and terror that blossomed wildly across the globe at the onset of the 20th century. And we'll dissect how the United States' participation in World War I and World War II solidified our position as the leader of the free world, as its industrial might and manifest destiny coalesced into the most frightening displays of military bloodlust and governmental overreach the world had ever seen, through the creation and utilization of atomic weaponry. I'm your host, Andrew Hurst. This was, and is, the Boy and Island Podcast. A sneak peek into my forthcoming book, Boy and Island. Tune in and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Or go to boyandisland.com for more information. Thanks. See you soon.